Okay. Um, we, we're going to read together now, and uh, if you have a look on the second sheet, it's got all the Bible verses that we're going to look at together. It's handy to have. Uh, you may have come prepared uh, with, your, with your own Bible. That's great. If you haven't, um, it's all here, uh, or you can use your mobile device or whatever way you prefer. Um, so let's read together. It's Mark 9, and we're going to start together at verse 33, right through to verse 50. So I'll read as quick as I can, all right? Let's go. This is God's word. And they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will, soon, will able, be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown in the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. God's word. Um, if this is your first Sunday with us, or maybe your first Sunday back for a while, uh, we've, we've jumped in at a, maybe an odd place for you. As a church, we've been working through the, the Gospel of Mark. We just read a section from it today, uh, and it's just the next section. So I haven't chosen it specifically for you today, um, especially with this big bit on, on hell. We'll talk about that later. Um, but it's the next bit in our, in our series. And, and what we're trying to do as a, as a church is um, really get back to first principles. We want to understand what, what is Jesus, who is Jesus, what has he done, and, and what does it mean for us as a church in the 21st century? You know, if we're going to call ourselves disciples, at least let's get back to the primary sources and ask ourselves, what does it mean you know, to, to follow Jesus? And, and so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this sort of high, high point of Mark's gospel account, uh, the beginning of Mark chapter 9. It's called the Transfiguration. And, uh, and, and Jesus uh, took his sort of inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and they went up a, a high mountain. And, uh, and it says that Jesus was transfigured before them, uh, you know, changed in his appearance from just an ordinary guy with ordinary gear on to becoming intensely white, brilliant and dazzling, all right? Glowing, kind of like an angel, except even maybe greater. Well, of course he's greater. And a voice came from heaven, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And, you know, and as soon as it all started, it disappeared again, and, and, and Jesus was left with Peter, James, and John. 
And so uh, he, he then descends, you know, the, the, the mountain or the hill that they were on. And, and, and that really marks then his, his journey to Jerusalem. Just began there, really. And he's off to Jerusalem. And, and uh, we know that as readers of Mark's gospel. He's off to Jerusalem to die on a cross. And, and so what we see on the way are these various um, discussions, you know, as, as Jesus goes to the cross. And, um, and, it, and, and it, it reveals the disciples and it reveals their understanding and reveals their faith um, and, quite honestly, their, their complete misunderstanding at times. But their misunderstanding then uh, sort of leads to these various teaching moments that Jesus, you know, has with his disciples. And so we can sit and we can almost listen, you know, over the shoulder of Peter and, and Matthew and, and, you know, James, and we can listen to what Jesus was saying uh, in these little intimate teaching moments. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So um, what we'll see in today's uh, passage, today's message, are uh, how we'll, we'll understand it's three values, three values uh, that advance the kingdom. Three values that advance the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. features uh, very, very strongly in, in Jesus' ministry. And if you want to learn more about that, then please go back and listen to some of our other messages in the series. Three values that advance the kingdom of God. They are greatness, unity, and influence. Greatness, unity, and influence. And if we as a church grow in greatness, grow in unity, grow in influence, we shall, by the grace of God, advance the kingdom. That's what we'll see. So it's important for us to understand what these three things mean. And I have just plucked them out of thin air. That Hopefully we'll see um, they've come from, from these teachings of Jesus. So they're, they're journeying on their way down the mountain, not just physically down the mountain, but metaphorically, you know, coming back to earth, back to the ordinary realm of misunderstanding and people uh, not hearing Jesus properly and all that. And, and so there they are. Jesus, uh, for a second time, has just predicted his death. You know, he's done it once already. I'm going to die, he says. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They're going to kill him. On the third day, he's going to rise again. And he's told them that. And yet, as we see in verse 33, 34, um, the disciples totally mishear what he's saying. Um, so he asked them. They sort of arrived at this house in Capernaum. Some people think it's Jesus' family home. You know, he lived with his parents at the time. Um, maybe Peter's home. We're not sure, but it would have been known to them. It wasn't just a random Airbnb uh, in Capernaum or anything like that. Um, but anyway, they arrived in this house, and Jesus said, "You know, what, what were you guys chatting about on the way on the way here?" And of course, silence. It says in verse thirty-four, they kept silence. And the reason they kept silent, it says, is because on the way there, they had argued with one another about who is the greatest. They'd argued about it, you know, jostling between them. Who's the greatest out of the 12, right? Who's, who's going to be the boss? You know, who, who had the best miracles when we went on that mission trip back in Mark chapter 6? Um, who, who, who's closest to Jesus? Who would you say is like his, his best friend? Is it Peter? Is it James? Is it John? Who, who, who's going to be the likely leader in this when, when we go viral? You know, when the kingdom comes. Who's going who's gonna, to, it's almost like the cabinet. You know, they had a cabinet reshuffle this week. You know, who's going to be foreign secretary? Well, you know, this is his strength. And, her, you know, and who, who's going to be health minister and all the rest of it? This is kind of what they're doing here. They're jostling. Who's going to be the prime minister? That's what they're asking. And Jesus said, right, sit down. 
Jesus sat down, and, and, and that's what rabbis did. They sat down to teach. They didn't do what I'm doing here, standing up. They, they sat down, and that indicates, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you. I'm going I'm to put my rabbi hat on, and we're going to look through this issue here. And so he taught them. You want to know what greatness is, said Jesus? You want to be first in my kingdom? Well, here's the thing. Change everything you think you know about greatness, Jesus said. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Then you'll be great. I suspect at that moment you could probably hear a pin drop in that little house in Capernaum. Not what the disciples, the disciples were hoping for. If you want to be first, if you want to be greatest, you have to be last of all and servant of all. And, and, and as if to press his, his uh, teaching even further and make it really obvious, he sort of used a, a live illustration. Uh, it says there in verse 36, he took a child and, and put him in the midst of them. It wasn't just a random, probably it wasn't a random child just sort of swiped off the streets. And likely this is one of the kids in the household, right? You know, it's probably, you know, one of Peter's kids or, or a nephew or something like that. Anyway, you know, this child was there and, and Jesus said, come on, come on over here. And so this boy, we presume it's a boy, I think it's a boy, uh, in the midst of them. And Jesus took the child in his arms, it says. And, and he said to his disciples, look, you want to know what greatness really looks like? Verse 37, if you receive one such child in my name, then you receive me. And you're not only receiving me, but him who sent me. That is God the Father. You know, um, receives, uh, whoever welcomes, you know, whoever embraces a child like this or someone like this child, you'll be great in my kingdom because you have got a connection to God himself. Uh, children um, were viewed quite differently in, 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 in Bible times compared to today. Um, there's, a, there's a terrible song that came out in the 70s, I believe the children are our future. Have you heard that one? It's been covered a million times. I'm sure it's quite good. The sentiments are very nice and everything. Uh, but it expresses our own understanding of children. They're the hope for the future, right? They are the tomorrow. Uh, and, and so we, you know, quite rightly elevate them and, and invest in them because they're tomorrow's generation, you know? Uh, that was not a, a sentiment that was shared in Bible times. If anything, it was completely opposite. Children were pretty low, if not the lowest, on the, on the, on the rungs of society, uh, they were obviously powerless because they're children, but they're often disregarded. Until you come of age, until you're an adult in our, in our eyes, then you're sort of a you know, secondary, second-class citizen or, or whatever. You know, there, there was no such um, uh, celebration of children compared to today. But Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, welcome people like this. Embrace them. Value them these people. And so to the disciples and to us listening over their shoulders this morning, greatness um, uh, for the disciples and certainly for us, greatness is often a case of status, isn't it? Uh, it's often a case of position in some sort of uh, predefined hierarchy. Um, greatness is something that we fight for. Um, greatness is something that we have to struggle to, to, to achieve uh, we grasp it, and when we, we think we've got it, we hold on to it. That's kind of how greatness works out in our own society, and evidently in a similar way for the disciples. It's all about making a name for ourselves, often at the detriment of other people, if we have to. 
That's how we get to be great. And, and, and for us in, in modern society, we, we use our, our, our multiple achievements to sort of uh, make ourselves great or appear great or, or even be great in some ways. Um, our achievements can be anything from academic achievements, you know, getting the best grades or the best degrees or more degrees or further degrees. That's what makes me great, you know, when I've got all these initials after my name. Or, or, or maybe we'll, we'll, we'll look at our, our work, our work situation, whatever realm or sphere you work in, be it education, politics, whatever, you know, um, whatever job you may have, um, and, and, and try and get up the ladder, you know, from wherever you are to wherever you, you want to be. And you think, well, when I get up there, that's when I'm great, all right? I'm over people, and uh, I'm great. Yeah, people might, might take their financial uh, clout, you know, the money that they've got, and say, well, I'm great because I've got all this money. I've, I've saved it up or I've worked for it or whatever. Uh, greatness might come uh, when, you, when you consider the success of your family. We're a successful family. We're a great family. Look, look, at, look at what our kids are doing. Yeah. Of course, those of us in the church, we're, we're, we do these things and we have our own specific religious way of appearing great as well, don't we? Uh, let's, let's be honest. Um, through our learning, if you're that way inclined, through our theology, you know, through our experiences with God... You know, I've had this experience with God, therefore I'm greater, greater than you. In my gifting, I can speak in tongues and you all can't, so that makes me greater, right? We do all this. We're, we're religious people are really good at using religious language to make themselves appear great uh, from time to time. We'll take anything to demonstrate our greatness, whatever we can get hold of. But, but all this taken together, worldly greatness, um, it's all about making much of ourselves, right, at the end of the day. It's making much of ourselves. It's appearing higher than other people. And, and of course, that breeds just arrogance, doesn't it? You just become nasty uh, people. Not you, sorry. Yeah. All of us, you know, you in general, not you. No one in specific. You know, we say, look at what I've achieved. Look at how hard I've worked. Look at how successful I've been. I'm therefore great. But greatness in the kingdom is completely contrary to that, as Jesus has shown us. Greatness in the kingdom uh, means humility. Right? It, means, it means placing others, or God first, others second, and yourself last. That's the order. Whereas the world says put yourself first, uh, maybe God second if you have to, and others sort of serve you. They come last. Timothy Keller, well-known pastor, puts it like this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Really important. And Jesus said it's especially uh, clear, it's especially um, obvious to demonstrate humili your humility with regard to those who appear insignificant to your society. Those who are small in the eyes of the world, those who appear powerless. Because when you prefer them and, and, and give life to them and support them, then your greatness in the kingdom of God will shine. Because they're so opposite to how the world thinks of greatness. And Jesus said already, you know, there's a direct connection, isn't there, about how you regard the low and the, the, the disempowered of society. And so let's just get some, maybe some more specifics on this. Um, you know, if you, if you want to be great today, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, great in the eyes of God, who, let's face it, his opinion is the one that matters, right, ultimately. If you want to be great in the eyes of God, then we have to speak for the lowly and the powerless and the small. And that begins with the smallest lives in the womb, 
right up to the oldest lives lying in the nursing home? How are we protecting them? How are we speaking for them? How are we advocating for them? How are we caring for them practically? It might mean, uh, you know, being open to, to fostering and adopting and, and, and just serving those, particularly you know, young kids who are brought up in the care system, speaking for them. It might be uh, somehow you're ministering and blessing the refugee that appears in your town or your city. Uh, people who are fleeing their home country often through fear um, of various regimes and uh, fear of violence and, and threats against them, seeking some sort of refuge. Here, they don't want to leave their home country, right? You know, they're here because they absolutely have to be. And yet, how, how are we speaking for them? How are we loving and blessing? Those who are trafficked against their will from one part of the globe to another on false pretenses brought here to, to serve all sorts of um, desperate ends. Those who are homeless. You know, this is just a, an idea of some of the ways, some of the people in our society, just to get real specific. If you want to be great in the kingdom, says Jesus, stop making a pedestal for yourself. And start putting the least of these first. And when you do that, says Jesus, in effect, you will advance the kingdom. You'll be lifting up. You'll be giving life, because that's what the kingdom does when it comes in power. So as you're listening to this and you're, you're looking at the words of Jesus here, I wonder, is there anything you need to do in response to, to this call for greatness on Jesus' terms? How, how are you going to grow in greatness? First value, greatness. The second value then that's going to advance the kingdom is unity. John speaks out. Unusually, it's John this time. It's often Peter or it's Peter, James, and John or something. John on his own says this. Um, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not following us. All right, we've got someone here, an unnamed you know, believer or disciple or something like that out there who's doing miracles, who's doing works of power, who's freeing people from the oppression of spiritual uh, prison imprisonment. Listen to last week's message if you want more on that. And, and this is a good thing, right? Someone who's ministering in Jesus' name, who's releasing people in Jesus' name. Isn't that good, right? But look at what the disciples, particularly John here, says. Stop him. Because he's not following us. You know, in essence, John is saying, how dare he, this guy? Who does he think he is? You know, we're, we're the 12. A capital T, 12. We're it. Me and the boys. We're, we're the legitimate disciples. We're the... He, he called us. We're the apostles, right? The official apostolic delegates. That's us. We're authorized by Jesus. This guy. I mean, like, does anyone even know who he is? Where is he from? What does he believe? No idea. Jesus said, no. Don't stop him. He's doing this in my name. Don't you see? He's doing this with my power, my authority. Don't stop him. He gets the kingdom more than you do. And he's hardly going to turn around in the next moment and badmouth us and badmouth the gospel, is he? And then Jesus issues one of these sort of killer lines that you could unpack for the next 50 years. Uh, he says in verse 40, the one who is not against us is for us. 
The one who is not against us is for us. And he goes even further. He, you know, he says, like, take miracles out of, the, out of the question at the moment. He says, even if someone gives you a, a menial cup of water in my name, that person will be blessed, right? That person will be recognized, rewarded by my Father. If you do something in my name, with my authority, then you'll be recognized, rewarded. So the issue here, of course, is that the disciples were were upset because someone outside the clan, someone outside the tribe, was doing miracles. But he's not one of us, right? He's He's not one of our inner group. Effectively, they had restricted kingdom and kingdom activities to themselves and what they were doing. They could not recognize that the kingdom of God is greater than any human being, and um, particularly any group of human beings. It's bigger than that, and they couldn't see its, its fruit, its effects in the ministry of someone else over there. And so they thought to themselves, anything outside of us is wrong. Anything outside of us is unsanctioned. And, and that's generally bad news. They, the disciples created division where division did not need to be in existence. They created the haves and the have-nots. And in effect, they halted or, or, or slowed down the advance of the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, no, unity advances the kingdom of God. And it, it doesn't take a you know, uh, a scholar to work this out. It's such a huge challenge, isn't it, is it not, for us here, particularly in Northern Ireland, in the church in Northern Ireland. Uh, too, too often, the church has reflected the divisions in society. We're supposed to be a different society, and yet we've just mirrored what's going on outside. We haven't been united as the kingdom of God. In fact, as the church, in various ways over the years, we've concentrated more on our differences than what we hold together. And that's just an easy, it's easier, isn't it, to do that? It's easier to identify what we have, variance, what's, what's different to the other guys, whoever they may be, than it is to cherish the things we have in common. It's easy for us to say, look, they're not one of us. It's easy for the church to look at other groups, whoever they may be, and and look with suspicion and ignorance at other Christians doing good stuff. You know, Christians who are following Jesus earnestly, who have faith in Jesus, who believe the historic gospel, and yet we concentrate on what we have a difference with them. It's a cheap shot because we mock and we belittle and we discourage And we deny true believers out there. We reject the work they're doing. And if Jesus is to be believed here, it it, it puts the brakes on, it shrinks the kingdom. Or rather, at the very least, it slows down the advance of the kingdom. In addition to that, surely it confirms, doesn't it, the suspicions of those looking into the church from outside? The you people are just the same as us. You're, you're no better than us. In fact, you're worse. Just fractured and disagreeing. And there's wars in your church. There's, there's wars out here. We, we don't need more. Why would I come to church? Fractured and embittered. It's often how the world would view the church. Now listen, I'm, I'm not saying that our differences between Christians and churches are unimportant. Not at all. 
But what I am saying is the important thing is how you handle those differences and how you see them in light of the whole. There are major differences between churches and denominations and types of Christians and beliefs and all that. Absolutely. But what Jesus is, 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 is really going against here is this tribalism, right? this silo mentality that the kingdom of God is just what we're doing. And we, we, at the very least, we disregard everything else that happens outside. At the very most, we call it rubbish or stupid or they're not one of us. You know, it's us in here doing it right, you out there doing it wrong. And this is destructive. It's, it's counterproductive. It absolutely stinks because it is dishonoring to God whose kingdom it is we pretend we're part of. Conservative Christians may hold to their theology and their doctrine and their biblical studies, really good stuff, but they'll look at those who don't share those convictions or beliefs and they'll say, well, they're not one of us. And they'll discount everything that's being done and discredit those outside. Progressive or liberal Christians can often do a similar thing. They, they hold to their activism and their politics and their engagement and their causes. Again, all of which can be good, but they'll say that those who don't hold the similar convictions, well, they're not one of us. And so they mock and belittle those outside of their tribe. Those from traditional churches will look at charismatics and say, well, they're just superficial, they're over-emotional, and quite honestly, they're just a bit crazy. Those who are charismatics or from charismatic churches will look at traditional churches and say, well, they're just stuck in the rut. It's just dead religion in those places. They're just going through the motions. They don't even believe what they're saying. No matter what side of the fence we're firing from, we need to stop. We need to stop. Here's the thing. Our goal in general, should be to make much of Jesus, right? It should be to glorify him, to use that Bible term. Lift up his name, make him famous. And, and so we look with eyes of love and grace at other Christians and other churches and we affirm what we can affirm and we cheer on the good work that's being done in Jesus' name, even a cup of water. I'm not saying everything that... The, other churches or other people or other believers are doing is good. I'm not saying we therefore need to embrace everything and agree on every level. Certainly not. But surely our stance should be unity for the sake of Jesus and the lostness of the world. And we try, we try in our own way to model that here at Foundation Church. Uh, we want to be for other churches and not against them. I want to pray for other churches even those who have, you know, we, we hold even secondary, important secondary issues, you know, uh, in, in, in difference with them. We still pray for them. We still bless them. We still uh, think well of them and speak well of them. We want them to be strengthened in their mission. We want to strengthen other churches in what they're doing. We're, not, we're praying for them, but we actually want to strengthen them with resources to help them become more Christ-centered and more mission-minded. It's certainly part of our, our vision here at Foundation Church to catalyze gospel transformation in our city and beyond through, through resourcing, renewal, and replication. Now, there's a blog post on that. It's a bit wordy, but it's the best I could do. But that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to catalyze gospel transformation 
And one of the ways we do that is through renewal, and that, that, that gets to this idea of, of, of blessing other churches that are different to us, the different denominations or different parts of the city or whatever they happen to be. How can we strengthen you to, to honor Christ better in your community? You get the, you get the cred. Jesus gets the glory. We, we just know that we're serving you somehow and serving God. Kingdom advance leads to healthy Christ-centered churches. And unity drives kingdom advance. Third and final value, influence. Influence is kind of a continuation on the theme. What we're reading here is one long conversation, but it's sort of broken into three bits, you know, um, by the the, the translators and and all that. But it's really one long conversation. They're still in this one place. And Jesus sort of states it in the negative. He states it very strongly in the negative. But influence uh, can advance the kingdom of God. The negative side he puts on. And when you use that influence wrongly, it puts the brakes on. Dead stop. What am I saying? Let's have a look in verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. Hard words, hard message. Jesus is saying, if you cause one of these little ones, one of these, uh, you know, the, the immediate reference is to the one doing miracles in Jesus' name, just simply believing in Jesus and acting in his name, right? Simple believers, maybe new believers, young believers, they don't have it all together. But if you cause one of them to stumble... Right? If you cause one of them to fall away from the faith or to disbelieve in the Jesus that they are ministering in, then it is better for you to have one of these huge 10-ton stones put around your neck, taken to the Mediterranean Sea, and thrown off a boat. That is a better death than what will happen if you cause one of these little ones to stumble. This word translated here, sin, uh, the one who believes in me to sin, it's it's um, uh, scandalizo, scandalizo, scandalize. If you scandalize, you know, it refers to, to causing them to trip over, to fall flat on their face. You know, they're going well and then they fall over and they just stop believing and, and fall away. If your influence has that effect in someone, says Jesus, you are in trouble. You are in extreme trouble. And by the way, we're not just talking about the occasional sin, right? You know, in church, that's why we confess our sins every Sunday, because we're a bunch of sinners. We do stupid stuff. We do it within the church as well, right? We offend one another. We speak stupid things. We, we don't do what we should do. Um, there's grace for us, right? There's grace from God for that. There's forgiveness. Amen? But um, what we're talking about here is in a different league. This is someone who actively um, causes a believer in Jesus to fall away. If you do that, says Jesus... The fury of God is upon you. And he states this in in very graphic terms. Um, Verses 43 to 48. He said, this is the approach that you should have in dealing with your own funk, dealing with your own sin, says Jesus. It has to be radical. It has to get right down to the root of the problem. So therefore, says Jesus, uses this very graphic imagery, uh, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. It is better for you to go through life with one hand missing than to go into hell where there's fire. All right? So it's a metaphor, it's a picture of God's anger upon, 
upon you if you don't deal with your sin and you allow it to cause another believer to stumble. Likewise, he says, if your foot causes you to, you know, leads you to sin or whatever, then, then chop it off. It's better that you be lame than end up in hell. Likewise, with your eye. If your eye causes you to sin, you know, what you look at, uh, pluck it out. It's better to go around blind or with one eye missing than it is to go into hell with this unquenchable fire. Just in case you're wondering, Jesus is, is talking in what, what we describe as hyperbole, right? He's not actually suggesting that we literally chop off hands, pluck out eyes, cut off feet. In fact, the Old Testament uh, condemns that, condemns self-mutilation. But Jesus is saying, this is the radicality, this is how uh, deep you must go to avoid sin. Deal with it in yourself. So, so the, you know, the, the, um, the hand is referring to what you do, your activities. Uh, the foot is referring to where you go, the places you go and take yourself the eye, what you look at, how you think. Jesus says you to be radical in your dealings with sin. And it's important for us to know that sin will influence your influence. It will influence your influence. It will influence the way that you influence others. Therefore, says Jesus, cut it out. The great theologian of the past, John Owen, said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And it destroys the advance of the kingdom. Um, I just want to take a quick pause, a little sidebar, you know. Um, you can sort of switch off if you want. Um, it's important, I think, we address this, this question here, this issue of hell. Um, as I say, we, we just work through the Bible week after week. So please, you know, if you're visiting with us, don't think we talk like this all the time, but we're just taking every section as, as it is. And that means that there's, there's important stuff and there's some difficult things to talk about. And so let's address this just for a few minutes. Let's just chat about this for a few minutes. Um, this, this term hell here, um, it's, it's, the word is Gehenna, right? And, and that refers to an actual place just outside the, the city gates of Jerusalem on the south side. It's an actual place. And so when Jesus used this word Gehenna, the people knew exactly what he was meaning. Right? Uh, it's an actual place. And in that place, historically, many, many generations before Jesus, incredibly evil acts were done in the name of religion in that valley. It's a little valley. Gehenna. Uh, incredibly evil acts in the name of religion, uh, chiefly child sacrifice. Kings of Judah, right? Listen to that. Kings of God's people were so far gone, were so um, evil in their thinking, that they would sacrifice their own children thinking that would please the god or gods or whatever it is that they were worshipping. King Manasseh of Judah, King Ahaz of Judah, they did this. This area uh, was considered to be so despicable, so disgusting by later, you know, better-intentioned kings of Judah um, that, that it was desecrated, meaning that it was no longer, you know, used for these religious practices. And, and so, Literally, dead bodies of bad guys were thrown into this valley, right? Not to mention that, but a bunch of garbage as well, just so that it can never be used for such despicable things again. And in order to, to keep the vermin down, but in order to, um, you know, just show how great and evil that place was, fires were, 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 were set and fires were maintained continually in that valley, burning up the rubbish, literally, keeping the rats away, but also demonstrating this is a place of wrath, this is a place of God's judgment. He is angry, he is furious at your behavior. And so that became a very easy and graphic metaphor 
for what we're dealing with here, God's, God's judgment, his, his wrath, that place called Gehenna. And so when Jesus mentions that, that's what, that's what he was talking about, this, this burning, stinking rubbish dump. And it was a picture, of course, of God's judgment. Hell is not a pleasant thing, right? It's not a pleasant thing for us to talk about. I don't like talking about it. Um, but it's there. It's there. Um, those outside Christianity say, look, I, I, you're all about hell and brimstone, and they refer to things like this, and um, it is what it is. Uh, hell is rejected by some Christians, or at least minimized. They talk about it because it's just not an attractive way to win people to the church, right? Um, I get that. But these are the words of Jesus himself that we're reading here. And he actually, you know, he actually spoke quite a bit about hell. So, so if you want to take the Christian faith seriously, and you want to take Jesus seriously on his own words, then we have to take his words here seriously. And hell is, hell is a place. Hell is a, a real thing. And it points to the anger and the, the judgment of God. Okay. Taken together then, all this stuff here underscores the destructive power of your influence if it is influenced by your sin, right? Unless you deal with it. And so Jesus, like, like a shepherd protecting his sheep, he goes after the wolves. He's aggressive, and that's why he's using such aggressive, you know, uh, combative language here. But all of this also sort of uh, can point then to the positive aspect of influence, uh, because your influence has a power to advance the kingdom. Jesus is talking about the, the power to, to stop it and shrink it, uh, but you have, in your influence, power to advance the kingdom of God. We do, as a church. Power to build up, right? Rather than causing people to stumble. We, we have power through our influence to strengthen believers in their faith, not knock them down. That's how we should use our influence. Uh, pa- pa- power to um, bless people and not rob them of faith. And he goes on to say one of the key ways we use that influence then is sacrificial service. Where do we get that from? Well, the the last few verses, verse 49 and verse 50. He says, again, slightly confusingly for us, uh, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. Just odd, again, odd imagery, odd words, strange to us, not easy for us to understand. The original hearers would have got this straight away. To be salted with fire, it borrows the language from the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Animals that were offered and sacrificed uh, on the altar, before they were offered, had to be salted. Salt had to accompany every offering that was given in worship to God. It always accompanied sacrifice. And so Jesus is saying here, your influence in the kingdom of God is to have a sacrificial quality. Sacrificial quality. You know, if, if, if that quality leaves you, your influence is weakened, you lose your saltiness. What, it, what, it, what, what are sacrificial acts? You know, how, how do we then extend our influence in the kingdom of God? Just a few uh, things in case you're wondering. Uh, practically, hospitality is a sacrificial act, right? Um, it's one that we love to practice here at Foundation. Uh, our, our, our people are great and growing in hospitality. Opening homes, spending our resources, investing time, that's a sacrificial act. If you want to influence others for the, for the kingdom, the advance of the kingdom, open your home. You know, calling someone up, checking in with them, praying with someone, that's a sacrificial act. That's how you can influence people to positively build them up and advance the kingdom. 
Just think about it for a second, actually. When, um, when was the last, when the last time was that you were blessed, that you felt strengthened, that you felt really lifted up and encouraged? Maybe something recently, maybe a long time ago, maybe an event that stuck out in your mind. The ch- chances are that was because of someone else's sacrificial act towards you. It built you up, right? It advanced the kingdom of God in you and your family. Even if it was a worship event or some conference or other, you were built up because of the sacrificial acts of a team. You know, the musicians and preachers and whatever else it happened to be. And we're not talking here about flashy stuff, you know, this me-centered action. Often, you know, the sacrificial acts that we're talking about here to influence uh, in the kingdom of God is the quiet, it's the ordinary, it's the stuff that no one necessarily knows or hears about. That's how we influence people to advance the kingdom. You know, you have influence, uh, and it's powerful one way or the other. Have you lost your salt? Have salt in yourself, says Jesus. Regain that salt, that sacrificial love. So there we have it then. Imagine if we get this right, these three values, um, this influence, this greatness, and this unity. If we nail these three, then by the grace of God, we will see the kingdom of God advance. Amazing. But before we finish if, if I just stop the sermon here and say, right, go and do it, go and do likewise, people. Um, let's be honest, you might be vaguely inspired to go and do something nice for someone. Um, you might go away for a little bit and try to put others first for a while. You might go and adopt a cause or go and you know, register to be on the foster register or something like that with the city council. You might think nice thoughts to other Christians even though they're not one of us. You might try and use your influence to strengthen other people, but eventually, let's face it, eventually you'll probably get bored. Um, or you just revert back to how you were last week. Uh, or even worse, like me, you might try something with good intentions and then utterly mess it up and uh, just grow dismayed and think, I can't, I can't sustain this for a minute, let alone living a life that Jesus calls me to. But whether you just get bored and sort of uh, revert or you just mess it up and become dismayed, neither of those are going to advance the kingdom. It's just short-lived, a blip on the radar of your spirituality. But I want to show you briefly as we finish why we should do this and, and the power to sustain you in the long haul to live out these three values. Verse 31, it's not on your sheet. As they were coming down before all this unfolded, Jesus teaching his disciples said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they'll kill him. And when he's killed after three days, he will rise. It's Jesus we're talking about. So what's going to happen to him? It's the the core of the good news of the gospel. It's what he went through. See, in the gospel, Jesus laid aside his greatness. Um, He he said to himself and to the world, I will be last of all, I will be servant of all. And he laid down his life so he could take you in his arms and, and receive you and welcome you. He did that for you. In the gospel, you were an outsider. You were over there in the wrong clan, in the wrong tribe, doing your own thing. And Jesus went out to you and he united you to himself and him to you. He brought you into his community. He said, you're now one of us. You're on my team. That's what he did through the cross. 
In the gospel, Jesus was cut off. He was chopped off. He was cursed. He went through hell for you so that you could be forgiven and you could be restored and you could have peace with God and hope for the future. In the gospel, because of Jesus, you are loved, you are cherished, you are welcomed, you are served, you are strengthened, you are empowered, you are blessed. Right? And when, when you see that, when you see what Jesus has done for you in the cross and resurrection, you, you, when you understand that, it will shape you. It will shape the very way that you think of life. You will say to yourself, if Jesus laid down his life to serve me, then I will lay down my life to serve others the poor and the vulnerable, the needy in my society. He did that for me. You'll say to yourself, if he dealt so radically with my sin, then I will ensure that I use my influence to build up and never tear down. See, when you start to think like this, and you start to, you'll start to model these values, it'll come out of your heart, it'll, it'll come naturally, the more you see what Jesus has done for you. You'll live them out richly. It won't just be a blip on the radar of your spirituality. It'll be something that emits from your heart. You won't be able to stop it. And as a church, we pray, we want, we want to be the place where people together are advancing the kingdom of God in Jesus' name because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Do you want to stand? Let's pray.